Anyan Haseyo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. So... My husband has been really supportive of the podcast. Like when, you know, I told him I was starting a podcast with my friends and he he knows Amy and Leah because we've been friends for a while. He was really excited and bought me equipment and stuff. But now he informed me that I th- he thinks this is like taking over my life and that the only time I talk to him is when I'm talking to him about K-dramas. And I'm a little offended now. What did you guys talk about before? Have you been like omitting stuff or I mean, he should just be happy that you're talking to him. (laughs) That's what I said. I'm like, well, I mean, well, I think I've said on the podcast before that we're getting our house ready to sell and it's a nightmare and I hate it. And that's what we used to talk about. And I don't want to talk about that anymore because I'm just over it. So I'm like, that's why I'm only talking to you about K-dramas because every time you bring up another project we have to do to the house, I want to die inside. We were talking about this in Slack earlier today, the fact that the people in our lives who don't watch K dramas just don't understand what this means to us. I don't get it. They don't get it. He's it's really everything. mad because he sent me a show, hour and a half special. I don't even know what it's about. And he sent it to me like a week ago and I still haven't watched it. And he's like really offended. And he's like, Do I need to send this to Leah and Amy and have them tell you to watch it so you'll watch it? Aww. And I was like, Okay. Is it Korean? No. Then we're not going to tell yeah. you to watch it. So. You lose. So I told him, I told him, I said, well, they're not on your side. They agree that all that's worth talking about right now is K-dramas. And he goes, well, I'm going to unsubscribe now. Oh, big word. I know, right? He like threatened. Anyway, it was just funny. And I'm like, well, you don't get it. And I'm sorry you don't get it because it's the light of my life right now. So sorry that you you got replaced. Megan's like, sorry, children. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, dramas have replaced you. But I do think what was it that we said today that trying to describe K-drama love to a non-K-drama fan is like trying to describe chocolate cake to somebody who only eats Twinkies. And I think that that (laughs) that's legit. Yeah, that sums it up. Like once you go K-drama, you can't go back. You just can't. (laughs) You can't. I mean, you honestly can't. Like after I watched Chloe, I said, that's it. I'm done for American television. I can't. Well, except WandaVision. I'll give that. Still love my Marvel. But like anything other, I'm like, I'm done. I mean, it's because of the reason that we're doing this, right? Like as romance writers, like how much we appreciate the work that goes into the romance writing of the dramas that we've watched. Like I know not all dramas are romance and we're certainly not talking about romance today. But I think that was just what really made it click for me was, oh my gosh, this is romance done right. Right. They know how to do romance in a way that I've been let down so many times by some American. I'm not saying like, you know, Jim and Pam of The Office was pretty good. So thank you for that. But I've been let down, uh, most notably, um, Game of Thrones. (laughs) Just, you know, I just snorted. They let me down. (laughs) They let me down so hard. They did. So anyway, I guess I'm just like scarred, you know, I don't want another Game of Thrones uh, scenario. And I feel like K-drama is just like, I know there's a lot of debate on whether, you know, for instance, Chloe is a happily ever after. But for me, it was. Yeah. So, yes, it's an ending, but it is also the journey. And the thing about Chloe is 
the journey was perfect. The romance Absolutely. journey was perfect. Well, I like that we're talking about, you know, Kate <laughs> no, drama and romance, because oh, that yeah. is exactly why I wanted to start this <laughs> podcast and what invested me. So a lot of appreciation to the two of you for saying, no, no, romance, even though that's like our core that we want to like look at, <laughs> let's just hit pause on that and suggest train to Busan just for, you know, something different. And I was yeah. like, no, I, I don't have a great feeling about this. Like, I I do like on you, but like, you know, oh so then both of you are watching this, like, you know, Amy's texting like, oh, like Gong Yu's the goat. This is the best. Like, Megan's like, yes, yes, love it. And I was like, look, okay, full disclosure. I don't really like zombies. And we're going to talk about that this podcast. <sighs> And I don't know. I'm just going to, I'm saving it for the podcast. I just wanted to point out that this is supposed to be mostly a show talking about romance. And instead I end up with like the most depressing, like 90 minutes I've had in like a really long time. Right. We're taking a short hiatus from romance for this, but I know. And I think partly this was my fault. I have watched zombie movies like my whole life. I love them. And I watched Train to Busan a couple years ago or whatever. I'm not even sure how old it is, but shortly after I seen Oh, really? Okay. Then I, yeah, yeah, I thought like a couple years ago and I just, I loved it. And I, I said, this was absolutely, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was my absolute top zombie movie I've ever seen. And then Amy's like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. And Amy was all in. And and so Leah's like, all right, all right, I'll try this guys. And then she was so mad at us. I mean, the, I woke, we, we woke up to like not happy messages. I was actually pissed. I know. I felt so bad. I could tell. <laughs> can I just say though, so can I just say when we, whatever we recorded last where we said what are we going to be doing next and it was leah who said wait should we do train of busan and we were like yeah that is true well we didn't have okay that's why we coordinate our show watching a little better because she's never gonna let this happen again right so now we've got like our spreadsheet has been updated i made the biggest watch spreadsheet it's true she never wants to be blindsided by zombies again. And I am going to extract one more promise from the both of you, which is we are all going to watch and do Parasite now because F oh, y'all yeah. and uh, Parasite was good and I liked it actually better. And we're going to do that now. No, but, I not, actually, but not for a while. We're going to let people have some romance again. Right. And I do really want to watch Parasite. And so make me watch it. I'm happy okay. to do it. We're going to have a little while, though, where we're going to like, you know, be, Get gentle, to that. Yeah, be gentle to ourselves. Yeah, but today we're talking about zombies. I'm sorry if you're not into it, but I think we have a lot of interesting things to say about it. So I hope you listen. And if you're not into it, I'm not either, but we can. <laughs> I Yeah, I still think that there's interesting things to say about it. Like Leah's whole presence today is I don't want to be here. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I actually am going to come to this very graciously, I might add. You I are. think I have been a real trooper in this. You have. I, you have. I am ready to have a good conversation that's not just totally bitchy. No, I know. You were a trooper, and I respect that. I'm very pleased. And I really can't wait for Mr. Queen, just FYI, because (laughs) Megan and Amy both were little baby brats about that, and I don't care. And so when we get to that, I'm just going to remember that we did Mr. Mr. Busan. Train to Busan. Okay, let's go. And you thought your commute was bad. Zombies on a train? Siak Wu and the Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. These could have all been the title of today's deep dive, because yep, that's right, we are talking about Train to Busan, a deceptively simple name for a complex film that has zombies, 
crazy fast scary as hell zombies but also gained international recognition for elevating the genre by spotlighting individual characters locked together in this moment of terror and sprinkling in a biting commentary on classism in south korea the movie's logline is simple it's this after a zombie virus breaks out in south korea passengers struggle to survive on the train from seoul to busan so that's the logline. And the logline is essentially like the high concept, like premise of the book or the film. And, you know, I've always been trained that like the shorter and more clear the logline is, the better the entertainment, be it like the movie or the show or the book is going to be in terms of having like a really good high concept, like easy hook to sell. It's like your elevator pitch, right? Lately, that's one thing I've been really driving with my books, not to get too technical about publishing, but when you do view a book on Amazon, studies show that readers or, you know, potential buyers kind of only read the very beginning of your blurb. So that's normally where you're going to put a log line because you want to hook readers right away. So for romance readers, usually you want to try to get in some sort of trope as well. Like you want them to know right away kind of what it's about. Like my two books ago, two releases ago, I think my logline is something like, hide and seek in an alien prison is a lot less fun when the winner gets me. That's my logline. And that kind of shows you right there what's, I mean, you kind of know already what's going to happen. So yeah, loglines are best when they're short and sweet and they also hit on the actual trope that you're trying to sell to your readers. I heard anecdotally once at a conference, try to get your logline to be 35 words or less. I just counted the Train to Busan logline and it clocks in at a cool 20. So nice Ooh. job. Oh, good job. Choo-choo. Okay. So <laughs> that's going to be our segue. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> the film was clearly inspired by the previous big bad monsters out there offerings like night of the living dead the thing the descent dawn of the dead day of the dead the walking dead <laughs> lots of dead basically just dead everyone's dead everyone's dead it was written by Suk park and song ho yun and it was directed by song ho yun too for an opening image we see a truck driver getting his vehicle fumigated at a checkpoint he asks the friendly men outside in the hazmat suits if it's dead hogs again Nope, one of the dudes responds. There's just a minor leak at the biotech district. Nothing to worry about. Never a good sign. So a couple minutes later, the driver's on his way, except for crash, he hit something. Grumbling, he gets out of his truck and sees he's hit a deer. He looks a lot more concerned about his truck, though, and goes off on his merry way as the camera lingers on the deer's corpse. Spoiler alert, the deer reanimates. Yep, it's a zombie deer. So boy, howdy, shit's about to get real. Uh, you know, just based on our it's okay podcast. I was just going to ask, did it scream? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that it's the same deer that was a cock blocker for <laughs> Moon Young and Gong Tae, all right? That's what the deer gets. That's what the deer gets. It gets to be freaking Bambi zombie. Yeah, basically. Yeah. All right. Well, while our podcast likes to center on Korean dramas that primarily deal with romance... Sometimes the heart wants what the heart wants, and in this case, Megan and Amy, who are all in on zombies, wanted to take a look at the film and discuss whether or not it lives up to all the hype. And me, myself, who's never met a Gong Yu role I haven't liked, obliged, albeit not very happily. 
Just as a reminder with the zombie deer spoiler above, this deep dive is going to have as many spoilers as there are zombies on a high speed train. I eat a lot. So proceed with caution and don't swing a baseball bat at us because you've been warmed. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're feeling like you would like to do a good deed, you don't have to sacrifice yourself for a train car of strangers today. You can simply leave us a nice review or star rating. We are a new podcast and listener feedback helps us with discoverability. Lastly, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it onto the pod, book recs, behind the scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. Like today, where we did put a close-up shot of <laughs> Lee Jong Wook's neck sex vein from Tale of the Nine Tales. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's like a baby arm in his neck. <laughs> okay, thank you, Leah, for recording that for our listeners. We really should all appreciate Leah for that. Okay, let's make like a train attendant who just had her throat ripped open by an undead college student and lurch in. Here's our first zombie fun fact. Did you know the word zombie first appeared in print in an 1838 short story called The Unknown Painter? It was spelled Z-O-M-B-I rather than Z-O-M-B-I-E, which I did not know that. Any of that. Now I want to look up the story. More like a cute perky zombie. Like, (laughs) right. I think this zombie put, I think they dotted their eye with a heart. (laughs) (laughs) I could almost go for like, you know, the mean girl cutesy zombies. <laughs> mean girl cutesy zombie. Okay, so there is like sidebar for a second here, and I only know this because of my students. There is like a Disney zombie show. Yeah, there's, my kid my son, my daughter loves it. Zombie loves it. and zombie too, right? Like uh-huh. and they they love it's just like zombies in high school. I'm I want sure to do like, like high school musical but with zombies. Honestly, I <laughs> yeah. think it is. I would like to see like a true beauty zombie where it's like the zombie girl and like, you know, she's Getting wearing her, her she's wearing her glasses like womp womp <laughs> and then takes it off and like, hey, she might be a zombie, but like if you don't mind the rotting <laughs> like teeth are buying flesh she's hot teeth are but then you, you realize you realize when she takes the glasses off that it was actually holding one of her eyeballs in <laughs> and that's why she had to wear them <laughs> oh my god okay that's amazing <laughs> all right so what type of person would you be in a zombie apocalypse oh man i mean i want to believe that i would be like the leads in this that I would be like suck woo or sang hua and rise to the occasion and start punching the hell out of zombies and you know protecting my children but I'm afraid that instead I'd be like the ajuma who just kind of says f it and lets it all happen because the tense anticipation of watching the movie if that's like even an inkling of what it would be like to actually be in that situation I would probably be one of the first people eaten <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, I have no doubt that I'd work really hard to protect my family. And unless I, you know, hit a terrible patch of bad luck, I'm pretty confident in my ability to survive an initial wave because I feel like I'm overall fairly scrappy. And fun fact about me is I tend to mentally plan for disasters on a good day. So I just anecdotally know all the springs in the forest near us with fresh drinking water. I've identified actual caves that I could use for a shelter in case of something like nuclear war. And I'm not telling you, or no, maybe I should. Well, we'll discuss that and unpack that during the show. Do I share my cave secrets or do I not? I'm not particularly athletic or coordinated. So if they are fast zombies and I end up getting chased, then 
I'm very confident it's my brains for breakfast. Look, this is why I either always wear comfortable shoes or I always have a pair of comfortable shoes with me, okay? Because, like, you don't understand. I've watched way too many zombie movies where it's, like, people in heels or bare feet, which I think is worse. So I think you should always be prepared with comfortable shoes. That's very important to me. But I really like to think that I'd kind of be, like, the baseball bat kid. Utterly terrified, okay? But I'm still willing to, like, grand slam some zombie heads with a bat. So... I think, too, my main goal would be to get, like, my kids and my husband to safety because I think he could, like, help rebuild societies, like, really smart and a tech guy. I mean, I don't really think I have a whole lot of purpose. I'm, like, past breeder age. Oh, I just... <laughs> we have purpose beyond breeding. <laughs> I know, but I'm, that's the thing. This, this is, I'm, like, traumatized, okay? Because <laughs> so in college, we had, like, a large group of friends and we used to always joke about if we had to start like a commune, like we would always talk about if there was like some sort of natural disaster and we had to like rebuild. Okay. And so I had a lot of friends who were in the military, a lot of my male friends. So of course they were like in charge when we would talk about this. And the one, no, I mean, he's, he's married to my best friend and he looked right at me and said, you don't have breeder hips. You wouldn't be allowed in the commune. And you know what? I still have a grudge about that, that he wouldn't let me in the hypothetical commune because, I, I mean, I don't know, is that a compliment that I don't have reader hips? No, I think that what you do is you pull the granny, like the old lady Ajuma, and you right. freaking open the door into his commune and let the zombies right. eat his misogynistic <laughs> ass. I'd, I'd let them eat him, not my best friend. I mean, I know she married yeah. him, but... No, yeah, no, absolutely. Not her. It's not her fault that, you know, he said that. She's my bestie. She Because <laughs> we uh, she doesn't have breeder hips either. He was like, I might not even let you in. It's... <laughs> So anyway, I feel like I'm traumatized by that. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, well, what would like my purpose be? You know, anyway, anyway, that's I think about those things all the time because clearly I watch too many movies like this. But (laughs) comfortable shoes, though, that's your advice. Comfortable shoes. Yes, comfortable shoes and always keep a pair of comfortable shoes in your car. And also, like, if you have to if you're like traveling, keep like at least flip flops in your purse, because, again, it's better to run in flip flops than in heels or bare feet. I've thought about this. Okay. So, so always be prepared to run from something. Yes, always. <laughs> Whether it's like the day after tomorrow where it's just like endless, you know, tsunamis. Yes. <laughs> always be prepared. And can I just say that I watched that movie on an airplane? No. Like, that's what they played on an airplane. And I watched it and I'll never get over that. They're like all punking you by playing that uh, on an airplane. Yeah. That's horrible. That's like playing Con Air on an airplane. Right. On air rules, I'll, by the way. Nicholas Cage would have saved me in that one. Even I, with his like mullet. He had a he with had, like, his a mullet. mullet. Yep. He had like a long remember it was like scraggly and like oh blowing my God. So I don't know what this movie is, but you've lost me at Nicholas Cage. I love Con Sorry. <laughs> oh, Nicholas like Cage is the hero. Cage I'm willing for that. Yeah. Oh I've seen God. every Nicholas Cage movie. Yeah, hundred percent. No, Nicholas Cage. Moving on. Moving. I on. will literally fight for face. <laughs> Come on, National Treasure. That's a great family movie. I will fight for Face Off. Like, like, die. Face Off is dumb. Face yeah. Off is so dumb. <laughs> John Travolta and Nicholas Cage switching faces. Oh my god! When they're in the when they're in the no when they're in the prison with I like don't even the, remember it because oh it was god. dumb. I don't oh know god. why I'm in a podcast with either of you. I really don't. <laughs> I can't, like, I just, I can't, I can't back up Face Off. Oh my God, Face Off is so amazing. Okay. Okay, back to to zombies. So this switching to a more serious note. Do you think there are zombies of any kind in our own culture? 
Nicholas Cage. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Eating my will to live every time I look at him. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think that we have a tendency towards zombification. That's a word, right? Whether it's like the grind and not being able to find that work-life balance or completely zoning out on social media, which I've done before, or K-dramas. No, I'm going to back up on that. Zoning out and K-drama is completely healthy and it's for the greater good because it's this podcast, mental health and this podcast. But I do think it's easy to lose ourselves in identities that seem too strong to resist. And I think it's always good to remind ourselves of what makes us, us. Yeah. I think that there can be like a zombification where capitalism is the contagion and we're coerced to varying degrees to brainlessly act within that paradigm. So, you know, the idea of like sitting in traffic to go to work, sitting in the office, then sitting back in traffic to come home, consuming, sleeping, rinse, repeat is like the epitome of a mindless existence. That is, I think, a source of real dread for those of us who want to assert some meaning to our lives. And just as like a side note too, there's been like an uptick in anti-mask protests in my town. And yesterday, you know, on my way to pick up some groceries, I spied kind of like a free hugs gathering. That's like my worst nightmare, even not in a pandemic. And, (laughs) And one of the placards said, just say no to masked zombies. And I also just thought that was kind of horrifyingly hilarious in the context of there actually being a plague right now, which you can scientifically prevent by masking up. I agree with both of you. I mean, I also think there's some sort of metaphor for zombies as a mob mentality. Basically, would we go with the mob or would we fight to maintain our individuality and humanity, which I think is very much echoed in this movie. So would you rather be turned into a zombie or watch everyone you love turned into one? It's a horrible question it is <laughs> yep oh. like this is what you said <laughs> that's what you I'm get not, and i'm not no i'm not saying it's a horrible question like how dare no, you I, ask me like it's a horrible choice to have to make and it's a yeah. choice that you would have to make right if you're in this situation yeah so while I'm not... watching a movie that you were forced into watching and then you reflect on <laughs> as you sit there <laughs> i am not knocking the question writer although i am knocking the question writer's answer that's coming up because <laughs> that's cheating that's cheating. But anyway, I'm going to say, I mean, it sucks, but turned into one because I don't want to be the lone survivor and I don't want to watch my loved ones die. So yeah, I turn me. Ajuma right here. I'm opening <laughs> the door. Let it happen. <laughs> well, for me, I don't think this is cheating. I think this is a fair answer. And that is I would rather survive. I don't want to be a zombie at all. And I'd rather carry the memory of my loved ones inside my intact brain. But my caveat to this is I don't want to survive at their cost. Like, I'm not going to be like throwing my kids at the zombies to get away. (laughs) I mean, like, mommy will remember. Don't worry. I happily sacrifice myself if it meant giving them a chance to live on. But like, you know, if it was all hitting the fan in every direction and like, I don't know, somehow i Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I'd rather not be a zombie at the end of the day. So I'd live on probably not happily, but willingly. (laughs) Well, I think this question is interesting, too, because obviously it's not a simple question, because if you think about it, if you are a survivor in this type of situation, you probably had to make some sort of selfish choice to a degree. I think you would have had to. So I think you almost always would live at the expense of someone else. But then have you saved yourself and your children at the expense of someone else? Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of 
that weird moral scenario. I mean, obviously, I'd want to survive as long as I had my family, but I would never want to be the lone survivor. I can't I can't imagine what that's like. Like, I just keep thinking of I Am Legend. Isn't that's the lone survivor story, isn't it? Oh yeah, the movie it is. I am legend. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. That's a, um, I have. I haven't even seen it yet, and that's what it made me think of because I know enough about it. Yeah, I watched the movie and read the book. <laughs> Clearly, I have a theme. Not. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good movie. I just I've never I, heard of it. Can I? Can I give a spoiler to I Am Legend? <laughs> Go for I it. Know how, I know. Right, how it skip is. ahead. Okay. Well, there's a dog death that I hate. Yeah. Oh, so that's see. that's the that was the big the Will Smith movie. It's not like some obscure thing. No. <laughs> And the only dog death I'll accept is John Wick. Like, that's the only dog death I'll accept in a movie. That's the catalyst for the whole story. Because then for three movies, he gets revenge on the dog death and it's fantastic. So anyway, that's the only dog death I'll accept. So crap, what were you talking Being a lone survivor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where we're. We're talking about Will Smith right now, I think. Reeling it back in. I gotta edit. Th- I gotta edit this, no, so I gotta reel no, it back in. I don't think that you do edit this. I think no, I don't you do. I think you like, totally raw. Totally yeah. raw. Let it go. We're, anyway, we are so, raw dogging. We are raw dogging from here on out. Yeah. So I mean, no, because even, even I am legend. That was that was actually super depressing. I actually didn't really. I mean, it was a great like action movie, but yeah, that sucks. And I wouldn't want to be that. Only living with like my dog. So yeah, I guess that's my answer. So what do you guys think? How long would you survive a zombie apocalypse with the skills you have right now? Okay. Are these fast zombies or slow zombies? Because that's going to have a huge impact on whether or not I'm going to carry around the shoes, like Megan's telling me to. Mm-hmm. If they're fast zombies, I'm going to eventually get outrun. I mean, I can run like a 5K, but I think it ends kind of there. But if I'm being chased, I, I'm sure there'll be that adrenaline boost. And thanks to Leah being the prepper that she is and teaching me a little bit about prepping for disasters, I do have life straws. So hopefully I'll find some water. Girl, <laughs> I don't have a cave. I don't have a cave. I don't have um, a cave. <laughs> so I think with, you know, fresh drinking water and good shoes, I could hold out for a little while. But I don't think that I'm going to last very long. That's not my personality right now. Like I am not prepping for disaster. I'm not like you two thinking about what kind of shoes should I have in my bag and in my car. Like I am as big of a hypochondriac when it comes to like health and stuff like that. But if I also let myself start thinking about the zombie apocalypse, then I am going to spiral really hard and I will be the first one eaten. (laughs) And they will eat me like down to my bones and I will not reanimate (laughs) because that's how bad it's going to be. They're going to eat you like a corn cob. <laughs> Why is that so funny? It's kind of like the type where you like nod like, down to the end, push back. I'm also picturing it like total fast speed, like in a cartoon where they're just like, yeah, and, and, then it's like, and it's like oversized teeth dropping. That was the intention. And you know what? I'm positive there's caves near you. <laughs> <laughs> just google it find your freaking cave amy where are the caves in the suburbs of chicago there's forest oh preserves and i i'm gonna look it up and find you a cave and tell you where the closest cave is all right so we camp as a family we have lots of camping gear so i feel like you know check to us in that we are also comfortable digging poop holes in the woods so you know check to that so i feel like now we are well set up for like you know the baseline of the zombie apocalypse we also happen to live close to the coast and have lots of farm in the area. So I'm thinking that we have like a solid six months to a year of raiding and hiding out. (laughs) But things like 
injury, the elements, and marauding humans give me pause. We're in with a chance for the short to midterm, long term. I'm not convinced. So the other thing I've been thinking is that maybe what I need to do is take up sailing as a hobby because I could go down to the harbor and steal a boat and get us out of there. Okay, but just so you know, in I think it was Dawn of the Dead. So at the very end, they get on a boat and it's actually really funny because the, the guy who owned the boat, he died. So, But they knew him, but he was like one of their crew, but then he died and okay. he was kind of a jerk. So they get on his boat and they... <laughs> And they find, because, and it's only like a couple of them left. So they were like, oh my God, we survived. And they're like covered in blood and they're exhausted. And then they find his like footage. They had like a video camera on and it was just, it's just like him with all these like women in bikinis. And they're like, it's like, <laughs> anyway, it's funny because the, the way the movie ends, they're like intercutting that footage, that like happy footage with like them trying to sail. And then they find an island and they're like, oh, we finally find land. And they get on land and they're zombies. And then they of die. Course. And that's of how course. the movie ends. <laughs> So yes. even if you get on a boat and find land, there's going to be zombies on it. No, I'm in with a chance. I also hadn't thought about like aquatic zombies because that's the whole thing. We could do like a zombie, like, you know, in the water, just like mermaid. It's a well, whole I mean, if world. a deer can turn, you're going to have like zombie sharks and like, can you imagine a zombie shark? Oh my God. That's badass. Like it's got a headache. No, I, I could write it. I could write it out. You hire me and I could write you like a kick-ass zombie mermaid on a zombie shark. <laughs> I believe you could. I also, I'm going to modify my answer to say that I'm just going to drive cross country and find Leah's family and have them hide me. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that too. I, I think I'm just going to drive the whole way to California. I mean, I don't know. I would say like I have gained the pandemic like 15 being generous. <laughs> so I just, I hate it. So like I used to be more in shape and I played soccer actually once a week, indoor soccer. And I was, you know, I was doing okay. I did have a bad knee, but, but it was like... <laughs> I have a bum uh, knee. I had a bum knee. I also got a concussion. Yeah, uh, dude, like you're just opening up the train. That's all you got to do here. <laughs> anyway, so I really feel like I'm. I am like little, despite the pandemic fifteen. So I feel like I could hide really well. But I feel like that's my only my only shot at surviving. I mean, my kids are little too, but. You're all noisy. She's gonna, <laughs> Megan's gonna be like Megan's gonna be like Peta in the Hunger Games movie. <laughs> <laughs> she just paints herself into the mud. That's actually a good idea because she likes makeup. I do. I could totally be. I could totally be Peta. I liked Peta a lot. I would not be Katniss. I would not be flinging arrows at people. So I've never been on a. Well, I've been on two sports teams, very short-lived. One was a softball team in Chicago, actually, where I ran so slow that when I was running the bases, the people like behind me would like catch me like on my team. <laughs> and so that was not good. <laughs> and then I was also, fun fact about me, on an underwater hockey team. And <laughs> legit, it was called the Prawn Stars. Oh my God, of course it was. And it, and it was in Tasmania and my lung capacity and that was very very bad my team was actually incredibly good I was not good and the only time I even came close to scoring a goal I thought I had scored the goal and then I came up to gasp to breathe and I had not <laughs> you are listening and you are in Hobart Tasmania I mean it was like a it was a competitive, like, people didn't F around. And, like, people got mad at me, too. Like, come on. Like, get in there. Like, just hold your breath. You have a snorkel? 
So you have a... <laughs> and you're playing it at the bottom of the pool. So the puck is at the bottom of the pool. And you have a hand... Your stick, like your hockey stick, is in your hand. Wait, you actually small. have a stick. Well, yeah, I guess and it's, it's small. And then there's, okay. like, painted goals on either end of the pool. And you're doing it, like, sideways. Not, like, the full length of the pool, right? You're playing, like, sideways. And I feel like we had flippers, but maybe not. Maybe, no, no, we did not have flippers. But, I mean, like, the dudes were all in, like, full-on, like, budgie smuggler, like, speedos. Like, it was a whole thing. Well, I mean, why am I not surprised that you've but done anyway, that? Anyway, like, I'm just saying that my lung capacity was bad. So, again, I'm just, I have to be wily. <laughs> my athleticism will not save the day. Megan's going to paint herself into the shrubbery in the mud. Right. Leah's I mean, going to be wily, and I'm going to Leah. So, that's how I would we're going to survive. In my prime, I was fast, for real. I mean, I have really short legs. So, like, when I play soccer, my teammates are always like, your legs are like a blur. And it's true, because I have such short legs. So, when I run, they're just like, bloop, bloop, like a cartoon. So, like I said, in my prime, I, I can be fast. I did play track. But the problem with that is that I always false started so much that they called me the false start queen. And I even had a shirt that said false start queen on it. Because I false started every single race. Well, you know, that's an advantage in a zombie apocalypse. You're quick off the drop. You don't have to wait. Right. You can just go in the zombie apocalypse. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show, our K recommendation of the week. Thanks, Megan. And thank you for introducing me to my new K-merch obsession, Mochimisu.com. Mochimisu is a merchandise site owned by a Canadian couple who handcraft their items. Their K-pop and K-drama items include everything from apparel to kitchenware. You can get your very own Mangte stuffed doll from It's Okay to Not Be Okay splitting the infinitive just for Leah, to a giant mug replica of a store-bought cup of ramen. They ship internationally, and shipping is free. So don't mind me. I'm just going to drop off the pod now and go spend what's left of this month's paycheck on all things Mochimisu. Okay, I've got one other zombie fun fact. Did you know that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was the first novel to approach the idea of human reanimation from a non-superstitious point of view? Have Ooh, you all- that's really cool. Yeah. Have you read Frankenstein? I used to teach it. Yeah. I've, cool. I've read it multiple times. I mean, and that is exactly what it is. It's reanimation. Yeah. So I might not like zombies, but I did like Frankenstein. I read it a long time ago. I really would like to read it again. I, I mean, Mary Shelley was groundbreaking with that story and the fact that she was a woman writing that story. There's so many yep. interesting facts about her and Frankenstein. Yeah, and there's a really cool book, actually, that's called Passion by Jude Morgan. And it's all about the Romance era poets and kind of like their muses. And so Mary Shelley is featured quite heavily as a character in that because obviously she was with like Percy Shelley, who is an a-hole in that book. But that's beside the point. So back to trying to Busan. What is a character choice in Train to Busan that made a lasting impression and why? So for some reason, I can't get over the baseball kid freezing up when he enters the train with all his friends who have been turned into zombies. So during the scene, it's baseball kid and then Siok Wo and Sang Wa. And the three of them are trying to get to Siok Wo's daughter. So they have to pass through several trains full of zombies to get there. And the one train they enter is basically full of baseball kids friends who his teammates so they're all wearing their baseball uniforms and they're all zombies like he like storms in with his bat and he's like ready to go to get to the train and he sees his friends and he just completely freezes and he's he's i mean i think he's a high schooler 
maybe college. I mean, I'm not really, really sure. But either way, so he's young and you can just see, I mean, props to the the actor because you can just see the agony on his face that he knows they're zombies. Like, I think he fully realizes that they are not who they are, but he he doesn't want to hit them. Like, he does not, you know, and I, I just, I don't know, man, that that scene really struck a chord with me just at how, how devastated he was to see his friends no longer his friends. And I kind of appreciate it too, because the way they handle that scene is the baseball team zombies are actually kind of winning against the two older men. And, you know, baseball kid is just still frozen, but they then go through a tunnel where everything goes black. So they don't, so, and then the zombies can't, can't see and they're able to sneak through the train. So I kind of like that the movie didn't make him hit his friends. Like I really kind of appreciated that choice. I don't think I would have wanted to see that as a viewer. But yeah, I don't know. That scene just does something to me. That was pretty powerful. And I mean, with how fast the zombie stuff starts and you see like how fast people change once they get bitten, it's so heartbreaking because so many people saw people that they loved and cared about change immediately. And then it's like, now you have to kill them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's that was rough. That's a great scene. And I loved when it turned dark, too. And they realized mm -hmm. that the zombies couldn't see them. That was pretty cool. Go going back to like, would I or wouldn't I survive a zombie apocalypse? A character choice that had a big effect on me was Sang-Hwa, played by Ma Dong-Suk, who, side note, I just saw is going to be Gilgamesh in the Marvel Eternals movie. And I could not be more happy about this. Talking about my Marvel love earlier. But when he, his first instinct was basically to literally fight the zombies, like punch the freaking zombies, tape up his arms and punch the zombies. Like, this is what I wish I'd have the guts to do if I was in a zombie apocalypse, but know that I couldn't, not with my current skill set. So he's basically like my zombie apocalypse life in fanfic, while Ajuma saying F it is my zombie apocalypse biography. <laughs> I, I absolutely love when he's just punching zombies. Like it is my favorite. And he's just so built, you know, like he takes off that yeah. jacket and he's got the like the big biceps and the big fists. And he's just like, Ugh. like, I just I loved him so much. Yeah, I know. So Baseball Boy struck a chord for me too. But for me, my moment was when his girlfriend, the teen cheerleader, gets bitten and transforms into a zombie pretty quickly. And he cuddles her as she transforms and then lets her just eat him. So, and it also made me think that I need to tell my husband that we need a clause in our relationship that if one of us turns into a zombie, the other has to kill them. Like, I don't want Nick holding me as I zombie out and then like eat his face like I'd rather just be dead <laughs> so I'm gonna talk about I'm a spoiler for a movie called Alive which is on Netflix it's like hashtag alive and it's a zombie it's a it's a Korean zombie movie because there's a scene at the end that is so so interesting so there is an old man and he basically drugs the two main characters and they don't realize it. They think he's going to help them escape. Like, he's like, oh, there's help coming. And they're like, great. And they drink his tea. And then he ends up drugging them. And when the woman wakes up, she is locked in a bedroom with his zombie wife. And basically, he kidnapped them to feed his wife. Like, he's, like, completely in denial. It's kind of like uh, Walking Dead when they keep all those zombies in the barn. So this woman's locked in this bedroom with a zombie because this man's like, I need to feed my wife. I need to feed my wife. And she'll die, which she's a zombie, buddy. But two main leads, the hero and the heroine, eventually they kind of rescue each other. And the zombie wife comes out and leaps onto her very much alive husband. And he just hugs her while she's eating him. 
just hugs her. It reminded me of that scene a little bit. Like he's like, and he's kind of like patting her and he's like, I love you, you know? And it reminded me a little bit of that scene too in Train to Busan because he keeps the, the, the baseball kids like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like even yeah. as she's beating him, he, he's basically like, I didn't protect you and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. And oh, it did, that struck it's such a quirk. And moving. that was really, I didn't think that was going to happen. I have to admit, yeah. that was one of the most surprising deaths in the show. Moving, but definitely, I don't want my husband hugging me while I eat him. I just want him to freaking like bash my brains in because I don't want to exist right. as an undead. Just like kill me. Right. And like, that's his last memory of you then, too, right? Like, my last memory of my wife is her eating my face. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have a memory because his brain is in my undead belly. <laughs> So why do you think that Sangwa waited to close the door for Seok Wu when earlier in the train ride, Seok Wu closed the door on him and Seong Kyung, his pregnant wife? Sangwa's character, I think, was sort of like he was a hero already at the beginning kind of thing, right? Where I think that Seok Wu had to grow to be a hero. And Sangwa waited to close the door because he's not an asshole, basically. And Seok Wu was a bit of an a-hole at the beginning for important reasons, like what Megan brought up earlier is this idea, if you are going to survive a zombie apocalypse, you're going to have to be an a-hole to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to save himself and his daughter. And that's all he's thinking about in the beginning. So I don't, you know, 100% fault him. But I also feel like Songwa is not, he called him an asshole. But I think just because he's recognizing that Sukwu is an asshole for doing that, he's not going to spite him for it. Like he could save him. And so he did. And I think that was Songwa's like initial viewing of this situation is I'm going to get a, as many people out of this alive as I can kind of thing. Whereas Sukwu's initial reaction was, I'm going to get myself and my daughter out of this. And so, yeah, I mean, they're two totally different characters, but at the same time, I think that Sangwa was enough of a hero that he wasn't going to punish anybody for how they behave in a zombie apocalypse because, you know, this is a bit of an unprecedented situation and we're all going to behave differently. And yeah, he was just a big old hero to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I adored him so much. And I mean, the image of him with like the yellow tape on his arms just lives in my mind all the time. I mean, I think about it all the time. Wrapping them. Yes. Yeah. Wrapping them. And he's, yeah, he's got this like determined look on his face and he, he's just, he was fantastic. He was a big part of the movie for me. And so I do think he has his own agency. I mean, he has his own goals and dreams. They set them up. He has his own opinions, but I do think there was a purpose for him in the movie, to, which was to show Seok Wu what kind of man he could be if he made different choices. I think essentially Stangwall was like, the model for Seok Wu. And I think he learned from him. To me, I felt like there was more of like a statement of classism and capitalism to unpack here. So for me, I felt like Sangwa, you know, was seen as more of like that working class salt of the earth type. And so I felt like for his archetype on the show, they tried to give him instincts that were you know, more collective and altruistic. Like he's the good guy. You could go have a beer with him. He was definitely marriage and baby daddy material. And I think the film makes an intentional choice here to first show, you know, Gong Yu's character of Siak Wu in that dog eat dog world of capitalist success and behaving quite badly, like giving his kid the Wii when she already had a Wii and just showing him kind of being like fairly one dimensional at work. And so having somebody like Sanghua from like the working class essentially come and like save his ass. I felt like was very much like an intentional choice of like, you know, a nod to classism and, you know, the whole like Viva la Revolution. I like that. <laughs> I, I like that too. I do, I do not disagree at all. I think that that's a really interesting take on that because they do very clearly 
show the classism break there. I mean, they obviously have sang comment on what Seok Woo does for a living. And it's... Like a money um, sucker. Yeah, like a, a money sucker. So did Seok Woo's or sang sacrifice have more emotional impact on you and why? I'm going to judge this by just literally how many tears fell out of my face uh, <laughs> when deaths happened. For me, it was Seok Woo because he was so close to surviving and that made it all the more heartbreaking for me. Like both men left behind children, both men, you know, left behind people who, who love them. And I even went into the movie, like it had been spoiled for me and I didn't care. I'm glad that I knew, I knew that Seok Woo was going to die, but even knowing when I got to that scene and I mean, it's literally in the final moments of the movie and how close they were. And it was like, this is the last zombie. And of course he has to fight it and it bites him. That just gutted me. And especially for him to have to die with his daughter there and what he does to not die in front of his daughter. And I mean, I'll I'll talk about this a million times, but the final scene of him on the back of the train, the last shot of him is his shadow jumping off the back of the train. Like, I just lost it. I was watching the movie with my 12-year-old son, who was just looking at me like, what in God's name is the matter with you, woman? Because I was just sobbing. And I'm like, I don't know. It just hit me. I mean, and also like Gong Yu crying. (laughs) It's, I feel like it's just like, a Pavlovian response now. Like as soon as Gong Yu starts to cry, like I just lose it. But yeah, I think it was because he was so close to surviving and to have him die in the very final moment when, you know, one tiny little difference could have, you know, could have made him survive it. That's just, yeah, it got me. You know, one thing I'm learning about myself as I watch K-dramas is that one thing that always makes me cry is kind of like memory montages. So You know, like when the maybe like the main couple breaks up and then they're all like sad and then they think about all the fun times they had together and they go through this like, you know, shadowy, cloudy montage of memories. I don't know. It gets me every time. And so that was really hard when Seok Woo is crying on the back of his train. He's like his his eyes are like milky, like he's turning into a zombie, but he has a smile on his face because he's remembering happy memories of his daughter. He's remembering the first time he held her and her little baby feed. And, you know, as a parent, that's just like that just killed me. And and so that was, yeah, that hit me really hard. But then sang when he's, I love when he's like holding zombies back and he's fighting the change the last minute. Like he's still, you know, holding those zombies back and his eyes are turning cloudy and he knows it's happening. It was just heart wrenching. But I, and I love when he called to his pregnant wife and he said, this is what I want you to name our daughter. And oh my God. So both of those just hit me really hard. I mean, I think sacrifice was obviously a huge theme in in the movie so yeah i felt like when it came to sang he went out for the good of the group and i felt like siak Wu, when he died his sacrifice was for the good of the individual being his daughter so both have like merit they're just different and as a you know non-zombie movie watcher watching this i felt pretty overwhelmed at siak Wu's death like at that point i had felt overwhelmed by like the entire movie <laughs> so it didn't hit me in the feels as much because I think at that point I was just kind of like spiraling out of like you know since I haven't watched zombie movies like yeah I've watched like two other ones and you know I was just kind of like yeah a little bit disassociated and you know Megan spoiled (laughs) that Gung Yu was gonna die too so I I think that like expecting his death like limited the surprise and the emotion but from a a plot arc and hero journey it was solid but I was like approving of it and I was in like a pretty analytical headspace because I think I was like disassociating from like the emotional pain and stress 
And then with Sangwa, I felt like, again, I wasn't expecting him to die. And so I was a little bit overwhelmed and shocked at that. But like, also, I think at that moment, as I realized he was dying, I was like, oh, this is going to be a movie where everyone I care about is going to freaking die. <laughs> and so like, I think I was just like, coming to terms with that. So there was still like more of like an emotional separation. So I wasn't like pieced out or not feeling. It's just I was like, I think for me, sometimes I go into like an emotional shutdown for some things when like, I don't want to like feel it too hard. And I think both hit like that happened to me in both of those. I think that's fair. And I, I've also had that reaction to certain shows and movies too, that I'm just like, I'm, I'm almost like over the emotional wave or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to, you know what I mean? I almost, I almost got that way when, when I watched it's okay uh, not to be okay. Cause it was almost like so much emotion. I got to the point where I was like, this needs to be over before I completely cry like a river in my house so i totally get that feeling i really yeah do. my coping mechanism is to go like highly intellectual and be like okay well this is a representative like you know this is a commentary on like social classism and so i was like going into that part of my brain i think because like you know the rest of it was yeah i mean they're just people getting like eaten by people and that's just never like a fun way to spend your free time for me <laughs> So, okay, why do you think Granny opened the train door to the zombies? I feel like this goes back to what I was talking about, the fear and anticipation watching it and how that could only be like a tiny, tiny percent of what the people going through it were actually feeling. And I can't imagine being in that, like that final car and being in that final car of the last handful of people who have not been turned into zombies yet, because now pretty much the entire train is zombies and the zombies are out there outside the door. And so is her sister who, you know, gets eaten by the zombies. And so everybody's out there and they're going to get that door open. And I feel like it's so, so terrifying that I would just need to be done. I would need to like get that fear like over with and the waiting for it to happen. I just could not handle that. I am not like, do not take me to a haunted house. Like I do not do well. I can watch scary stuff, but don't actually put me in a situation where I'm going to get scared because I flip out. So yeah, I can't imagine. I I would not have had any hope at that point. And I feel like that's kind of where she was. Like there's no hope that I'm going to survive this kind of thing. And so just F it, come and get me because you're gonna anyway. Yeah, I mean, I do think that she knew what was coming like i don't think she had any delusions that she was going to survive this and right before she does open the door she's she's like angry at her sister for being selfless and i almost wonder if part of it she just wanted to punish the people in the car who delayed her sister getting to safety i mean that was really the reason her sister died in that particular scenario was because the people in the train blocked the door and wouldn't let them in and that was you know why the zombies were able to get to them so maybe i think part of it was like it's gonna happen anyway let's just do it let me i want to join my sister and again like because i felt like the way that i was able to enjoy this movie was to try to think about like the metaphors of the show and so for me granny kind of became a stand-in for this idea of like how we as a society treat the elderly 
you know, it wasn't a huge plot point, but I felt like these older, these two older women were sort of disregarded and unseen for a lot of the show. I mean, there were times where, you know, there was like respect shown and like letting them have a seat or something. But, you know, when she was there, the one sister who was like with the zombies and like decided to like sacrifice herself or whatever, like I felt like her sacrifice was like a disregarded (laughs) sacrifice. Yeah, I kind of just felt like Granny was like, you know, I've lived through a lot of shit in my day. And I was thinking like, you know, being an older woman in south korea like yeah she's like been through some times (laughs) and you know i just got the sense of like you know i'm tired i'm old i've seen it all fuck you all like nihilism (laughs) and there was a part of me that like understood like i had empathy for that so in the end the only two survivors were a pregnant woman and a young girl and they make it to busan due to the sacrifice of others who were all men how did this land for you as a viewer So while the men are kind of portrayed as saviors in this, it doesn't strike me as overly patriarchal. I think instead that we got to see a metaphorical portrait of what a good father looks like because Sukwu starts out as the absentee father, like you mentioned, you know, buying her the two wees, not even really knowing his daughter and ends up as the father who gives everything for his child to survive at the very, you know, final moment. And so I appreciated that. Also, I'm not saying that men are dispensable, but I do also appreciate that the women, although not having a ton of agency, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't have any, but they didn't have as much, I don't feel, as the men. They weren't there merely to get eaten by the zombies and make the men heroes. They were chosen as the characters who should survive. And so even though the men got to play the part of hero, I appreciated the fact that you know, whether it was the writer's choice, the director's choice, I think they were the same person to say the people who are going to survive are going to be the women, at least two of the women, not all of the women. Because yes, I agree with what you just said, Leah, about sort of disregarding the older women. But yeah, I did like the fact that the survivors were women. I do agree with Amy. I don't think the women were placed in the movie only to show what amazing sacrifices the men had. I do think they had their own decisions. And I think even the little girl had her own ideas of who she wanted to be and who she thought her dad should be. I mean, there wasn't tons of room for them to show, you know, more of their dreams or goals. I think I would have liked more of the pregnant woman. So, I I mean, I agree there, but I do think they still had their own agency. And I did love the end and how they managed to survive when the little girl started singing. So for me, I think this is what kept the movie from ultimately being a five out of five for me. I gave it a 4.5. And that's because like, again, this isn't my cup of tea. I wouldn't like probably like hurry back to rewatch it. But like I thought that craft wise, it was a very well done film. But for me, yeah, I was kind of like stuck on like the women and how they were represented in the show enough that like I decided to ding it. I felt like Granny was the only female character who made a surprising choice and hers was like the nihilistic kill everyone choice. I'd like to have seen the pregnant woman in a position at some point where she had to actively survive. And look, I do very much acknowledge that at the end she's running with like her nine month pregnant belly in heels. So like, (laughs) yeah, okay, like fair but like i don't feel like she was like making like that was was still like a reactive choice whereas like you see her husband and we're giving him all these props for like punching the zombies and whatever i don't feel like we ever saw her in like a position that was like a surprising and active choice it was more like you know running and you know and then the daughter i felt like was like served as the emotional conscience of the film and really i didn't expect her to be 
tough or making surprising choices. Like she was a child and her job was basically to like provide that emotional conscience. And then we had the cheerleader girl. And to me, she didn't bring a lot to the table either. And so to me, it was just very clear that this was a movie written by men. And that's fine. But it is why I'm going to ding it half a point. And I think it would have been richer to have given the women more agency and had them make some more surprising choices. All right. So the Gong Yu train to Busan hair. Thoughts? <laughs> I loved it, but Goblin hair is still my top Gong Yu look. Give me that floppy, wavy do. And I'm a goner. So yeah, liked it. Didn't love it. No, train to Busan hair all day, every day, even with zombie brain bits in it. I loved <laughs> <laughs> I loved his train to Busan hair. Just that's it. Yeah, for me, I mean, like, look, we've got Gong Yu with his Goryeo Kim Shin <laughs> kind of like flowing mullet. We also have, um, I don't think Megan's seen it yet, but we do have, you know, Gong Yu rocks a pretty sweet mullet and coffee prints. He does. But this is a hard one. For me, I think if it's just like going to be like a Just Us Gals shopping date at like the Eileen Fisher, that's going to be the Goblin Bob. But for pure hotness, I'm siding with Megan for once. And it's the train to Busan hair. The Goblin you Bob. <laughs> you agree with me. The Goblin Bob. So here's a question for everybody. How did this film land for you in 2021 during this time of COVID pandemic? Any interesting correlations or parallels? Yeah. So the very beginning, they have either some sort of government official who's speaking to the public and he's saying everything's under control. Everything is fine. We got this handled. We'll keep you safe. But it's shot with the juxtaposition of footage of zombies literally raging in cities and completely out of control chaos and you know it just kind of struck me as you know I, I feel like recently you know we had a we had the government telling us everything's fine everything's under control this is gonna go away in like a month you know i mean didn't that happen recently yeah. uh, does, yeah. does it ring no. a bell for you guys <laughs> yeah all of 2020 is what it rings sounds bell. familiar yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm really glad that i watched this during this time of like COVID pandemic. And like, it was a show to watch in like 20, I'm glad I'm watching in 2021, not 2020. But for me, you know, during this last year of pandemic, I've struggled mentally with seeing people like assert their individual rights at the expense of the collective. And this has been a time when like communities have truly lived and died together. So I've always been encouraged to see that there's so many people that I know who are willing to side on science and, you know, make sacrifices for the good of the group. But the fact that so many have not is something that's lingered with me. And I've never been like overly Pollyanna and like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you know, I mean, I've always like taken our government with a grain of salt, but like overall, you know, had like some level of trust. But I think after living through 2020, where we were, in my opinion, purposely misled and lied to by the very people tasked with keeping us safe, that's lingered with me. And I felt like this show, you know, especially when you see like the government trying to be like, everything's okay, that hit in a raw nerve. I 100% echo what both of you are saying, that I think situations like this are either going to bring out the best or the worst in people, which is what we saw on the train, right? We had the people who were trying to save everybody. And then we had the train car full of safe people who were like, that's it. We're not letting anybody else in because you could be infected. And so we're going to save ourselves. Screw you. And that whole idea of like asserting your individual rights rather than the greater good kind of thing. And I see that too much, I think. I just wish in general that we could come together more and be less divisive. So the ending of the movie, hopeful or depressing and why? I actually was on another podcast for my 
author persona where I kind of talked about like post-apocalyptic romances and why I like them so much. And it's the same thing with this. Movies like this are actually hopeful to me. And I know that that's not the way they are for everyone, and that's okay. But a well-done post-apocalyptic, like if I'm reading a romance book, is is hopeful to me. So, and the reason is, we all know that there's going to be shitty people making shitty choices in any sort of situation like this and in times of crisis. But what makes me hopeful is watching the good people who make selfless choices. So, you know, the Sangwals of the world, they make me hopeful. And I, I did end this movie feeling hope and that's why i watch movies like this and there are some that are not well done and don't leave me feeling hopeful that are you know there are plenty of zombie movies that are just done for like shock value and gore and those are fun to watch but i don't watch them that's not the main reason i watch these movies that's what one of the reasons train to busan struck me so much is because it was what i want out of a zombie movie and it did leave me feeling hopeful it left me feeling depressed as you know from my know (laughs) (laughs) you know so like yay pregnant lady and little girl live you know she doesn't get shot in the tunnel singing aloha which again like oh god and you know i guess we can gather that humanity is probably not going to go extinct hopefully busan's a safe haven yeah i felt like we saw the tragic consequences of individual selfishness which led to an unborn baby who's going to grow up without a father, a traumatized child who watched her father sacrifice himself. And, you know, just both of these deaths were directly correlated to other characters' inherent selfishness and othering. And so really like that train car that could have survived, like basically they ended up dying because they were trying to be selfish and then their selfishness ultimately killed them when granny was over it and like opened the door on them. And so in high school, I remember that we read Lord of the Flies and there was a big debate in our class about like, are people inherently good or bad after reading it? And I was the only one, sometimes I just feel like I'm the only one in my views, but after this I was the only one in the class who landed on bad. And I felt like the rest of my class were diluted and it had all been smoking a whole bunch of hopium in their like <laughs> arguments. Um, <laughs> and I don't keep that. Like, I don't have that still. It was like, once I got to college, I felt like I discovered like existentialism and like the philosophies of like Jean-Paul Sartre and Soren Kierkegaard. And then I started to like move towards like, you know what, people aren't like good or bad. Like, yeah, we're just people. And we're like all adopting like our own moral codes. And so that's where I still kind of sit at, I think, is that like people are fundamentally morally gray. And, you know, we're all adopting our moral codes and choosing like the good for us. In the end, I finished this like FML. Um, (laughs) I was intellectually stimulated and satisfied in terms of the story craft. But this was not an emotional experience that I ever choose to chase. I'm glad I took my medicine on this and trying to Busan made me think and reflect and that's good for me. But I am very happy not to do another post-apocalyptic deep dive for a while. That's fair. I felt pretty similar at the end. Like I was bereft that pretty much everybody who was good was gone kind of thing. Like the people in the in the train car who you know, who wouldn't let them in and then who kicked them out once they got in, like that broke me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is society. Like this is terrible. And I I think what gave me hope at the end was yes, little girl not getting shot in the tunnel. Thank God. But what gave me hope is that there was literally a light at the end of the tunnel for them, right? They were going somewhere that was safe and that there was, that's actually a very, see, this movie did make some very like, Again, I mean, like, I haven't denied that. I do think the movie was well, well done in terms of craft, but I didn't even, like, pick up the light at the end of the tunnel. It makes some really good choices like that. 
Yeah. So I really liked that. I mean, the literal tunnel scenario and having there be safety and hope at the end. And so for me, there was hope at the end that at least humanity was hopefully going to survive this. And so that's where, even though I was snot faced and, you know, tear streaked that I I did end it with hope. Yeah. Hopefully there's some good therapy in Busan. (laughs) Train to Busan is getting an American remake. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not into this at all. Like, I just not at all. And I, I probably won't watch it unless they bring something new to the table, but I'm not really sure what they could bring new to the table. I mean, first of all, the movie isn't old at all. I mean, I, I it's not like it's... Five years. You know? Barely, yeah, not I even mean, five years. And it's so well done. I mean, just it, it, the cinematography alone is, is amazing in this movie. The acting is great, and I just don't understand. I think I saw a tweet about this that someone was like, just get over it and read subtitles. And like, I, yeah, I have to admit, that's kind of how I feel. Like, get over it and, and read the subtitles because it's a fantastic movie that I don't think needs a remake in five years. Yeah, I get really frustrated by people's resistance to subtitles. And so, yeah, the whole idea of a remake is a no from me unless this train to Delaware or whatever we're going to have. Amtrak to Delaware Delaware with Grandpa Joe. Oh, my God. The way I could see it working is if they tackle some deep-rooted, like, societal issues in our country, like racism, anti-queerness, and capitalism, and makes it feel fresh, like a fresh and interesting, like, take on that in terms of, like, American society, right? If it leans more towards, like, just a blockbuster with Tom Cruise running around with a baseball bat, like, I'm going to just vomit basically and <laughs> yeah I do, actually i do support that if they can like americanize it to critique american society i would watch it if someone told me that that's the way it was going to be but correct if it's like a mission impossible i don't want it right like summer blockbuster no yeah and i feel like because again like we didn't really get into the train part of this but like you know i don't feel like bus to busan or plane to busan would have been the same because the train having the different carriages of the train like it makes you move it like the movement through the train really interesting and it also lets you be in a forest proximity situation but you're also moving through the landscape so you can see like a worsening situation even though you're still trapped in one spot and then also you get to have these like choices of like keeping people in or out of cars and so i i can see why there could be like an appetite to remake because like a train was just a genius place to put this kind of a show i'm just really afraid they're gonna f it up and honestly i kind of feel like you know watch it and then reflect on your own society right like i guess if it's not broke don't fix it you Mm. know kind of thing and and this was so well done. I mean, look, we've just talked about it for over an hour. It was so well done and has got us all thinking about our society. We're making the parallels right now that I don't see the need to remake something that is already, in my eyes, pretty genius. And whatever gets done, like you said, Leah, if it does make some interesting comments in our society, I might give it a watch, but I don't think that anything is going to live up to Train to Busan, the original. Why remake something that's already fabulously done? So this is time for our book recs, our romance book recs, and we're going to be talking about two different book recs. We're either uh, mentioning one that features forced proximity, which, you know, would be that the whole movie takes place on a train, or a zombie romance. So, yeah, I think that 
you know, there was an appetite, obviously, to do zombie romance, but I spoiled that because I've never read a zombie romance because that sounds like my worst nightmare. So <laughs> I suggested Force Proximity as a compromise, and that's what I'm going to be going with. So my Force Proximity has no zombies, and it is On the Island by Tracy Garvis Gray. This is a Nuna romance that could be seen as problematic. It's about a more mature teacher, actually, who is escorting her young student to a resort in the Maldives. And he was a cancer survivor and the plane crashes and they have to live on an island for a quite a long time. Although serendipitously, a suitcase washes ashore with body wash, shaving cream, shampoo, and all the things you need as you spend time with your young charge who's flowering into a young man um, to keep yourself looking good. Yes, it is a somewhat controversial book, but I don't think it ever kind of like Goblin, like it kind of toes a line. And it's definitely a growing romance that happens on the island. So I actually did go with a zombie romance, the one and only zombie romance that I've ever read. And literally, the zombie is the hero of the book, the male lead. So it is called Warm Bodies by Isaac Marion. And it is basically a Romeo and Juliet retelling with zombies. And R is our zombie hero who doesn't remember anything about his life, but he's getting very introspective and wants to regain his memories and remember where he came from. So we've got R and then Julie. And Julie is the heroine who is at first sort of R's captive and then kind of his guest. It's <laughs> where he lives basically in a like crashed like defunct 747 so he lives inside like this old airplane and listens to like frank sinatra and stuff like that and julie ends up in his airplane for reasons and this sort of friendship grows between them and the only reason i will say giving like a tiny bit of a spoiler that i was able to read it and that it wasn't gross is because like zombie is that our getting all introspective and starting to think about his life and who he was before he became a zombie starts slowly turning him human again and then on the other side of it we've got julie's father who is like in the military and trying to you know wipe out the zombies and stuff like that so you've got that sort of you know forbidden romance like super forbidden because he's a zombie but also it's very philosophical when you get to the end of the book and i really liked that that it made you think about society and this whole sort of metaphor of being a zombie and what could have caused it and stuff like that so yeah highly recommend warm bodies by isaac marion Okay, so my book rec is actually one of my own. This just shows how much I like zombies because I wrote a whole series about zombies. The first book is called Daring Fate, and so it's by me, Megan Erickson. And it's uh, three books right now. The series is called The Silver Tip Pack. But basically, my logline, I guess you would say, is that it's like The Walking Dead, but with werewolves. So the zombies in my series are the enemy but they are eight foot tall bipedal werewolves so if anyone's ever seen underworld the werewolves in underworld if anyone's seen those movies they're like they walk on two feet and they're like massive and hunchback and have that's like what my zombie werewolves look like and so then there's multiple shifter packs and some are allies and some are enemies so not only are the shifters the werewolves shifters trying to keep themselves safe from the zombies but they also have to battle you know just evil people in a post-apocalyptic world where all the humans have died and it's only shifters left and they're fighting werewolf zombies 
<laughs> so I just feel like you guys need to understand how much I like zombies since I clearly wrote a whole series about them. So yeah, that's my book rec. So if you want to check it out, the first one is Daring Fate by Megan Erickson. And it's bloody zombie werewolf goodness. What a great note to end the show on. <laughs> yeah, I hope Vicky's listening. Bloody zombie werewolf goodness. So just really quickly, let's just recap what we're watching and then give listeners a sense of our next episode. What I'm watching right now, I'm really into it. It's called Lawless Lawyer. And the title is a little weird, but I am super into it. Basically, the first shot of the hero is him driving a black Mustang very fast with aviators and knuckle tattoos. And he's a lawyer and I'm into it. He can fight like 40 men at a time to save his love. It's just fantastic so far. I'm really intrigued. It's basically a massive revenge plot. And I am always a sucker for revenge plots. It's like one of my favorite things. So I'm only on episode four. So I'm really excited to see how it plays out. But if it holds strong, then I think we might discuss it for the pod. So stay tuned. And I am on episode two of Airs. Some places it's called Heirs and some places it's called Inheritors. I think the true name is Heirs. I was missing my bae, Lee Min Ho, uh, who I watched three dramas with him in a row over the holidays. And so I wanted to go back to my roots, to my original bae, and watch him in, I think, what is considered sort of like one of the classic K-dramas. It's from 2013, so it's not super old, but I'm enjoying it so far. But I'll have a lot to talk about if we ever talk about this one. I'll have a lot to talk about a portrayal of Americans in airs. It's pretty funny. It's cracking me up. But so far, I'm enjoying the longing looks that Lee Min Ho's character has for the heroine, and I'm excited to watch 18 more episodes. And I am on episode 15 of Healer, which has been fantastic. Amy and Megan promised some romance goodness, and this has left me having so many feelings that I was actually physically dizzy last night. And I'm excited because this is a nice segue into what our next episode is going to be about, which is going to be about Healer. And we're so excited. There's so much to talk about. I mean, it was a pure five out of five. For me, absolutely one of my top dramas so we're very excited Same. to talk about it me too and five out yeah, of five. and like right and we've gotten recommendations for this all over twitter and facebook like people have been telling us you know you gotta watch healer and we did and it paid off so we're really excited so that'll be next week and there's no zombie cabooses no. <laughs> not even one not, not even, even one, one zombie. all right well with that i'm gonna <laughs> choo-choo us out of here <laughs> choo-choo <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Kamsamnida. Uh-huh. Thank you for listening to Afternoona Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoona Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind the scenes photos, and of course, pics of our favorite Opas and Anis. Annyeong!